0: it's really getting the people excited about drinking better things yeah. about about knowing where what they're drinking comes from what are the
1: cool kids drinking
0: we're using a, a liqueur of green pepper called ancho reyes verde what which is a new product from ancho you reyes just made that up no it's a real one <laughs> it took me a uh, digging but it's there happy van winkle worth the money Worth the money. Yeah, it's a status thing. If you can find it, my girlfriend who's opening her own bar is working
1: her ass off. Mm-hmm. Excuse my French. Oh, hold, hold on. Make this that is business happen. and bourbon. There's no we speak French. I will not hold any of my employees back from a better opportunity. Never. Who am I to say that to hold you back from something that's gonna be better for you and your family? Family, family, family. Like them, like them. Welcome to Business and Bourbon, where we have real talk with real people. I'm Ronel Richards the creator and host of Business and Bourbon. If you haven't listened to our show before, boy, you are in for a treat today, and you've chosen a great one to listen to. On today's show, I invite my own personal spirit sensei. We've got Clark Anderson on the show today. Clark is a beverage manager for Ford Fry restaurants in Atlanta and beyond. They are actually have launched national restaurants now. They are really hot and killing it out there fantastic drinks fantastic food best quality these guys are killing it i admire what they do so i brought in clark to do a little whiskey education so he's going to do some education on whiskey and some some other spirits and give you guys a little insight on what it's like to attend one of my business and bourbon live events see clark actually does the whiskey education piece at some of my events here in the atlanta area So i brought clark in and we talked a little bit about that and we also talked about some of the challenges that face employers that are in industries that have a little bit of a higher attrition rate like the food service industry he gave some great tips for how they retain employees and kind of their whole philosophy in hiring which i found fascinating so with that said it's time to go guys grab your glass grab your cup grab your mug Whatever it is that you like to drink out of, I want you to pour your very favorite beverage in there, pull your chair up, and enjoy a little Business and Bourbon. Hey guys, welcome back to Business and Bourbon. As always, I am your host, L. Richards, the creator of Business and Bourbon. Uh, another beautiful day here in the city of Atlanta. I am sitting in... King and Duke. As you guys know, this is where it goes down. I'm at King and Duke. I'm looking outside. I'm seeing all this great commerce. I'm seeing all this great energy, the heart of business in Atlanta. And that's what I like to surround myself with. So if you haven't listened to our show before, let me go ahead and set the tone for you. We like to record live here at King & Duke where we have some great energy around us. There are people that are doing business. You're going to hear some clinking of some glasses. Those are some deals getting done. You're going to hear some people enjoying themselves. Because I want you guys to really get an insight on what it's like to sit down with a business professional or entrepreneur and just have some real talk. That's what we're about. Real talk. Real business. Today, I got a treat for you. And I'm really excited about this one. Today, I have brought in my sensei the master of everything spirits <laughs> i'm running clark anderson clark how you doing man i'm doing all right ronnell how are you i'm awesome dude um, so pleased and, and really stoked to have you on the show today um clark i've already introduced you as my sensei and the master of uh, of all things spirit why don't you tell
0: the audience what your job is i'm beverage manager for ford fry restaurants in buckhead on, on the east side of atlanta and i'm a certified sommelier i've been working in beer wine spirits in the beverage world in atlanta for almost 10 years now i started as a server for ford fry in 2011 and before that i worked for fogo de chome the brazilian steakhouse on piedmont that uh-huh. you might know oh, and i yeah. uh, worked for mccormick and schmicks the kind of old school seafood restaurant mm-hmm. back in the early 2000s just when i was leaving college and uh, You know i just thrive off the the restaurant energy and the the service the hospitality of it and really enjoy pleasing people and early on i learned that wine and spirits and selling better experiences was the the thing that brought me more money and and more pleasure from it. money's
1: not bad yeah
0: (laughs) so it really it was money first when i was a young man it was the money and selling bigger wines and kind of the ego of it that got me into it but now it's the education. It's driving the younger set, the, the next generation oh, of, of gonna, wine people. We're going to
1: talk about that because...
0: Um, yeah, so we, now it's, it's really getting the, the people excited about drinking better things, yeah. about, uh, about knowing where what they're drinking comes from
1: and about, about digging deeper. So speaking of drinking, we always have to start the show off with talking about what are we drinking? Clark, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking uh, an old
0: fashioned, but this is an old fashioned made with an agave distillate from way far south in Mexico in Oaxaca. So this is a mezcal old fashioned. Uh, we're using uh, chocolate bitters, so also something that could be considered southern Mexican, and uh, we're serving it stirred, of course, with a, a giant clarified ice cube. So really, what did I tell you? There. Isn't that man? I just <laughs> got
1: smarter just listening to this guy. So I, Clark, what am I drinking? It's called. This is something that's new on your menu. Um, The countryside. I I don't cross-country snow. There we go.
0: Ah, yeah. So this is a cocktail I made a couple years ago um, with my favorite winter citrus, which is the white grapefruit from Florida. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we make a cordial from the white grapefruit. We use, uh, depending on who's making it, we'll use Jenner tequila. Uh, Right now it's on the menu with gin Mm -hmm. uh, and white grapefruit. And we're using, so last year we used a Serrano pepper. And it made it a little too spicy. So this year we're using a a liqueur of green pepper called Ancho Reyes Verde. What? Which is a new product from Ancho Reyes. You just made that up. No, it's a real one. (laughs) It took me uh, digging, but it's there. Um, Yeah, so with a little lemon, uh, white grapefruit never has quite enough acid to balance the cocktail
1: for me. So we add a little bit of lemon juice with the cordial. Um, So I am not a gin drinker, and I am loving this drink. It's never kind of been my thing, right? But... This is delicious. It's the
0: original infused vodka. Uh, Everybody's
1: drinking flavored vodkas like botanical vodka is gin, literally is gin. Is that what it is? Yeah. (laughs) So um, as I'm sitting here, hold on, sip time. Sorry, guys. It's too good. All right. So I wanted to bring you on, first of all, because you make me feel, feel smarter. Everyone thinks that I'm like, that I'm the whiskey guy and I know some stuff. But like I said, sensei over here. So I'm coming to you for the PhD level knowledge. So first question I've got to ask you, and I don't know my my audience wants to know, um, what is your favorite spirit? What do you drink? What's what are the cool kids drinking? Because and guys, if you could see this guy, let me tell you something. He looks exactly like you would expect him to. He's got like the movie star chin. He's got the flowing hair and and the glasses. Like really the coolest guy. <laughs> he he's the cool kid, so what are the cool kids drinking? So these days
0: the the sommelier set when we when we're not drinking wine, we're either drinking sour beer or uh or ag- agave spirits okay. or mezcal tequila that has a sense of place. Mm-hmm. So the reason these things are so good is because you can trace them back to where they came from who made them and uh, the transparency is very high, which is something for spirits that's not not very common. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the craft spirits that we like to promote, the craft things that we like to do, uh, have a great connection between the people who made them and how they're made and uh, the people who are serving them. And, and we can really increase
1: the experience of our guest by by bringing all three of those factors together. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. So another question that I have because being the business and bourbon guy, I frequently get the uh, Kentucky folks, um, <laughs> love love you guys, you guys are awesome, but I get the Kentucky folks say, it's not bourbon if it's not made in Kentucky. What do uh, you got no. to say about that? Uh, well, I mean, bourbon is a place in Kentucky, uh,
0: but I think that the the style bourbon with high corn and new oak is, is more overriding than that place. So Thank you. it's important for... for for bourbon to maintain those two factors. And once, once you've crossed that threshold of predominantly corn and aged in brand new barrels, you're creating an identity for it. Uh, and that's really what they're go- going for. Uh, building the name of bourbon outside of Kentucky, I think is a good
1: thing for them, and they should probably uh, be so okay too. with it. So speak to that. Educate my audience a little bit. What is what is a bourbon? What so a bourbon? there's only a couple of rules to
0: make bourbon, and it just has to be more than 51% corn, and it has to be aged in brand-new barrel, an American oak barrel. Other than that, there are some upgrades to bourbon, like straight bourbon or bonded bourbon, that you could put on that age, on that label as like an age statement or a quality statement. But the basics of bourbon are just those two things, Mm -hmm. Um, and once you've met those, no matter where it's from, whether it's made in Kentucky or Indiana or Montana or Georgia,
1: you can still call it bourbon. So, as a bourbon drinker, one of the most confusing things, Clark, is the marketing. It's I I don't sometimes now I have educated myself, so I understand it a little bit more. Can we speak to that a little bit? What's what's straight? What's single barrel? What is like? We've got all of these. I think is it Jim Beam that has the devil's cut now, or some someone that has the devil's cut. So most of it's marketing. The terms straight and bonded do mean
0: something, but they mean something related to how the spirit is put in the barrel, at what strength, and then at what strength it's bottled. Okay. So not to get too geeky, but uh, straight and bonded were created as tax uh, kind of tax layers, mm-hmm. so you could charge more money. Depend like the government could charge more money depending on how. Uh, strong the whiskey in the bottle was Ah. or how strong the whiskey in the barrel was Uh so uh, now a lot of the other stuff like devil's cut and angel share and Mm -hmm. different barrel finishes like angel's envy bourbon is finished in one type of barrel and the rye is finished in another type of barrel these are not only flavor components but they're kind of like marketing components as well this kind of takes its cues from uh, when American spirits when uh, spirits really started to be imported into the U.S. Uh, If you take rum, uh, gold rum or aged rum was seen as higher quality when in actuality it might not have been. It was just colored with caramel maybe. (laughs) Uh, Tequila, same way. Uh, Reposado and Añejo tequila weren't really a thing in Mexico until we started bringing our barrels down there and aging their spirits in our barrels and creating these new layers of quality for which we could charge more money. Got so, uh, yeah, maybe some original liquor entrepreneurs uh, getting into how to market things and, and create more layers of, of quality. or so perceived it's more quality than
1: anything, right? Uh,
0: I mean, it creates flavor components, right? So uh, a spirit aged in oak for two years is going to have more flavor components. If I'm making a stirred cocktail with tequila. Uh, and some vermouth and bitters and I want to have some of those toasty notes from barrel in that cocktail, then yeah, I will use an Añejo or Reposado tequila. But if I'm going to make a margarita, it might be better to have Blanco really clean and light flavors uh, in my
1: cocktail. Okay. So yeah, they all serve a purpose, but originally, yeah, it was marketing. So next question. Um, I've got a lot of obviously bourbon drinkers and whiskey drinkers and... um, i think that the most popular name in bourbon the the most it's kind of like the Rolex of bourbon and um, Rolex is a brand that kind of carries this this aura right and this reputation but for those of us that were in the in the jewelry industry watchmaking industry know that it's not the highest quality watch it, but but you know you can't replace the Aura that comes with Rolex. Yeah. Okay, so that said, Pappy Van Winkle, worth the money? Worth the money,
0: yeah. It's, it's a status thing. I think that <laughs> to say that something that tastes that good is not worth the money, if you can... If you can find it. All uh, right, full the or You money. guys are
1: selling that for $120 an ounce, right? I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> do you guys guys we can get, here? get it,
0: right? So the, the whole setup with Pappy is that they want you to sell other products to be able to sell Pappy.
1: Okay. We don't
0: really, as a group of restaurants, we stand up for not playing those games. Uh, a lot of people do, and that's fine. Uh, but we we get a little bit of Pappy. We like to make people feel really good about drinking it yeah. and not feel like they spent a whole lot of money. So with that one bottle of Pappy, I will generally pour those 12 two-ounce pours to 12 unex- unsuspecting people on well, me. Are you serious? Uh, and make their day. I can be uh, an unsuspecting person. You might person. be that person <laughs> if you come to King & Duke, right? So <laughs> there was this table of two guys. It was one of their birthday. One guy I knew and... One guy I had never seen before, and they were with their wives, and I poured it for them, and they they didn't really know what it was, but I think they like started to realize what it was when they tasted it, and yeah, made their made their night for sure. Um, and it's those kind of things that I would much rather use my pappy for good. That's pretty eating, cool. <laughs> so they're,
1: so they're, these people, their palates were that astute that they're kind of like... Maybe not, out. but yeah. maybe it was their first taste of really good whiskey. And yeah. I mean, when I first tasted
0: Pappy, when it wasn't really a big thing and I could get bottles of it, it was <laughs> something that really made me excited about drinking more good whiskey. And that was when Pappy was really good back then. So, um, yeah, it, it's not always about collecting those unicorns. It's yeah. sometimes about you know, turning someone on to something they never
1: even, like, blowing their mind. So, what the moral of the story here, guys, is show up the King and Duke, and you might get some pappy. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a, not promising the, happy happy anything. <laughs> the pappy lottery. That's what we'll call it. Show up here, you might get some random pappy. Now, full disclosure, <laughs> I haven't got any yet, but we're going to work on that. Matter of fact, Clark, you're the guy here, and from what I understand, you create all the drinks that are on the menu, right?
0: I have a ninja, uh, a cocktail ninja here at King & Duke, and we have... These uh, my title's beverage manager, right? Mm So my boss is the beverage director, and then at each restaurant we have a beverage supervisor who is like the ninja who keeps eyes on everything because I can't be everywhere, right? Yep. So uh, Tiana, my my superstar
1: here, does most of the cocktail uh, most of the cocktail
0: execution.
1: Yes. Uh, But you know, I've been making the cocktails here at King and Duke for many many years. Let's get to the point. I, I want the point is. Can a brother get a business and bourbon cocktail in the meat? I'm just saying.
0: You're the guy uh, I that mean, I think can, can kind of make, make that happen. I, I make things happen. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. So so you, Clark, you oversee King and Duke, um, um, St. Cecilia as well, right? And then 246 Indicator. It's
0: a little Italian place where I first came into the fold Here is our second restaurant at Ford Fry Restaurants. And it's just like my heart. It's the, the greatest little getaway. That's awesome. Uh, indicator. And then a little oysterette. we call it, a tiny oyster bar with a cocktail den underneath called Beetle Cat, which yes. is an undercover beast uh, of a restaurant. It's uh, it's so much fun on the weekends, and it's a completely different animal uh, during the week. Uh, nice little spot.
1: So, so guys, if, if you're not here in Atlanta or the southeast or whatever, like Ford Fry restaurants, is killing it. Killing it like written up in every major magazine and i mean they're, they're just killing it so i'm super stoked that they've um allowed us the ability to come in here and, and partner with them and do some great stuff we've done our business in bourbon live from saint cecilia we do the podcast here at, at king and duke and um it's been super awesome and clark thank you for coming in because clark actually guys give me a little full uh disclosure clark does the um Education piece for us at our business in Bourbon when we do it at St. Cecilia, and he's been awesome. As you guys can tell, he is an encyclopedia of all things spirit, so that that's kind of what we bring for our live event. So, if you have not been to our live event, you are missing out. Do know that um, we are currently traveling it, so we're going to a ton of different cities. Um, I think next is, I don't know what next is, we got like 10 cities, so we will be in your neck of the woods. Make sure you check it out. I'll, unfortunately. Clark will not be traveling with us unless I can twist his arm and, and make him come, but I don't but we will try to have a Clark clone at some of at the uh, the events that are outside of Atlanta but if you're in Atlanta man you want to make sure you're here for Business and Bourbon um, when when Clark is, is helping us out and doing that, that great education piece alright so Clark people listen, come, they listen to Business and Bourbon because they want to hear real talk right so we bring people in um, we talk about what you do because I want to know. It's it's interesting to me. But we also want to know, like, the real dope, what's going on in your business. And one of the things that intrigues me about um, your industry, and I think it's something that a lot of people can identify with, like, you work, first of all, you work a lot of hours, and then you work weird hours, right? Like, the hours where, you know, a lot of people are off because you're, I mean, the busiest times in your restaurants are going to be when people are off, right? The dinner time and all that. How do you balance your real life? I mean, the work life balance for you, is there such a thing? (laughs) Let's talk about that. So the best balance
0: for me is in the summer. Uh, I have, uh, My girlfriend and her son, uh, we all cohabitate and we've been together many years. Mm -hmm. So we'll never get married. So she's my partner and her son. Uh, I call him my roommate. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's 13. And so the best is in the summer when he's kind of doing his own thing and our schedules can kind of flow together. But when he's in school and we're all getting up really early and my girlfriend who's opening her own bar, uh is working her ass off mm-hmm. excuse my french uh to hold on make this is happen. business in bourbon there's no we speak french <laughs> okay good <laughs> um so working really hard to make that happen it's a struggle but you know it's an evolution so we've both been in the restaurant industry for our our entire careers and we know more than anything that um the restaurant is about adapting and uh whatever you know, it throws at you next, you're going to handle, whether it be a table of eight who all has special orders or, you know, a table of all kids, whether the schedule calls for this today or something else completely different tomorrow, we'll make it happen. So So, there's lots of 10 o'clock dinners. There's lots of early mornings
1: and it's, uh, we just, we make it happen. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, there are a lot of people out there that can identify with that. I mean, whether you you know anyone out there that's that's high achieving and trying to high achieve is putting a lot of hours in um and sometimes that is you know at the expense of time they could be spending with their family how do we work in or their loved ones how do we work in quality time you know with the people that we care the most about and still succeed still you know do what we need to do with the job and I mean, you've got a lot of responsibility. So, are you? From what I'm understanding, you correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like you, you get it in where you can get it in. Like,
0: exactly. Like we're an hour here, an hour there. A walk with the dog is quality time. Absolutely. You know, uh, a ride in the car is sometimes the quality time. A uh, a, a moment in the park is quality time. Uh, there. Uh, grocery shopping trips that are quality time. Yeah. Um, but you, you have to take every moment for what it is. And, you know, we have lots of small, hard conversations so that we don't have to have big, hard conversations yeah. as a couple and as a family. Mm-hmm. And so we, we communicate really well. We learned that if very quickly that if we gave the kid a phone and texted him about things we needed, he would remember them a little better and mm-hmm. like, put them in writing. Uh, so he's getting a lot better. Um, and we're all getting a lot better at, at what we do every day. Um, the house and the yard are, we rent, we're renters in Decatur, which is a, a good place to be a which renter at this time. Awesome Um, uh, so our house and our yard are, are, are pride and joy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are our favorite, we hope uh, tenant, our landlord has ever had. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we take a lot of pride in that.
1: And, um, yeah. My girlfriend's business is going to rock. I know it. So I'm, I'm proud of her. That's awesome. I, and um, yeah, I, I want to make sure and hang out there. So let me know. Okay. So so what I'm hearing from you and, and what works for you is more, it's about quality. It's not, it's not quantity, it's quality. So the time that we spend, the time that you have with your family, um, you, you're really... Making sure that you're making the best use of it, you know, because I, I think there are a lot of people out there. There are people out there that aren't as busy as us, right? And but they're sitting at home, and their kids over there on the other side, and they're 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 doing what they're living separate lives, right? Like, you know, not getting that. And, and don't get me wrong, guys. Listen, we all have. If you got, te- I got teenagers, so like I know what that's like my son. He's in his room, he does his thing, but I make a make it a point to have times where we just we just vibe, man. Where we get together, we either have a meal or just just hang out. Yeah. And I do I do this thing. I started it um, last year. In fact, it's we try to go out whenever I'm in town, unless I'm not in town. We'll do a Wednesday night um, meal. Right? We'll go out someplace. No tech. That's the most important thing. Yeah. No tech. So all the phones, everything stay in the car. So that that's what works for me, um, and I think that's something that a lot of people out there are challenged with, man, because we work more hours in this country than, I think, 90% of the working world, right? I, I, there's somebody that's beating us. Who is it? I don't know. It's a, one of those European countries. <laughs> Uh, we are fortunate enough
0: to have a lot of support from, uh, the school that Max goes to. So, uh, they had a a low media, no screens in the school. Mm -hmm. And so that carries over into the house. So there's no, uh, he has a phone, but he's not on it all the time and he, there's no video games or, you know, movies on a regular night. So those things are treated as a reward and as something that it's also something that keeps us conscious of our screen time and our media intake. Uh, so definitely at meals, definitely during family time, keep all our phones stacked on one another and whoever goes for it first is the loser loser. (laughs) loses.
1: Cool. Cool. Hey, one of the thing, I mean, it's what, here's, here's something that's also interesting to me. Um, you guys are about to have a bar in the family, a new bar, right? Yeah. It's like another kid. (sighs) So, um, talk to us a little bit about the challenge. I I talk a lot about, you know, and, and my employees and, Um, folks that have worked for me and how much I've learned from them and some of the the challenges and difficulties because a lot of people that are listening to the podcast are either in management positions or they're entrepreneurs and, um, you know, they're learning how do I deal with employees. I think you kind of have, there's some unique challenges, I think, to to your industry. Um, I know for me, like, we had a lot of, in the sales world, there's a lot of attrition, right? I can imagine there's a certain amount of attrition for you too. Like, Let's talk about some of the unique challenges that you kind of deal with in, in, in managing your folks and maybe give a little advice to some folks that are out there that, that are in similar situation. So we have a, a,
0: a great position here in Atlanta where we're very well respected. Indeed. And so we we get to pick uh, from a, a, a rich pool. Uh, you know, there's lots of restaurants in Atlanta and we've been doing it here more than 10 years. So we, we harvest from all over. Um, I think that our our philosophy of hiring for personality has really served us well. Mm. So we believe that if if we're a good person, that we can teach you anything we need to teach you in this restaurant, but we can't teach you how to be a good person. Mm-hmm. So we feel like that's served us very well. And we get people who are just rock stars and they often get poached from our restaurants to go be whatever they're destined to be in their life. And the restaurant has just been their medium to get there.
1: How do you feel about um,
0: that? It's inevitable. I think some of the best people in the world have worked in restaurants uh, at some point in their lives, and it's just been a pass-through position, Um, but we're lucky to have them. I I don't feel like, you know, restaurants are something impermanent, and that's part of the beauty of it. You can come in tomorrow and wait on a whole new restaurant full of people and have a completely different experience and be fulfilled as a restaurateur, but just in a different way. Mm -hmm. And it's like going on a different
1: blind date every night in the same setting. Um, I, I think that's an important lesson for um, business leaders, managers, and entrepreneurs to know. Is that I've always had this rule: I will not hold any of my employees back from a better opportunity. Never, I won't. Like if you, if who am I to say that to hold you back from something that's going to be better for you and your family? Never done it. Right. Now the reverse is true as well. I've had employees that come to me and say a, a couple of times, "Hey, look, you know, I've got this other thing," and and in fact, one in particular. I did not accept her resignation. <laughs> I said, no, it's, it's not a good look. And here's why. And I educated her. And she worked for me for another, like, three or four years. And, you know, then something else came along that was better. I said, hey, that's awesome. Go get it, you know. And I think that those of us that are in industries where maybe there, there is some attrition, whether that be sales or the restaurant industry, um, that we kind of have to embrace that and know that it's part of the game, right? But if we're doing right by people... We're gonna have um, we're gonna have people that stay around and if they find yeah. something that's better, let them go because that gets out there as well you know that's part of your reputation as a as, as a manager and as a leader out there like people know if you're the one that's not treating people right but if you let people go for better opportunities and you're not beating them over the head or talking bad about them when they leave um, that'll come back to you you'll get more great employees to to replace them would you agree I I agree with that. And I, to your point, there's so
0: many things that we can do with our, our team members to really let them know where they stand, uh, on a daily basis so that, you know, when the time comes for them to go look for something else, we may be a part of that conversation. You know, maybe they become a different branch or they go into another aspect of the restaurant. We, we aggressively, uh, just touch base with our people whether they be behind the bar in the kitchen or at the host stand to make sure that they're getting what they need from us. Mm-hmm. If they're looking for a job in, uh, in a kitchen somewhere, but right now they're in the front of the house. Well, we have 11 kitchens in this city. Uh, if they're a valued employee, let's not lose them. Let's put them in another department. So a lot of, we have a That's- lot of that cross pollination. Our, our corporate departments are, are filled with people who came from our, our restaurants. Uh, our director of HR was a restaurant manager. Our, you know, our vice presidents were all chefs. So it's it's a matter of knowing where where your bench is deep and mm-hmm. being able to pull, say, your accounting department from your restaurants. So, you know, all of our all of our best
1: people have come from other other locations and are now so there's working a lot of promoting from within. Yeah, I love that for sure. Um, you said something early on that really resonated with me and you said you hire for personality. Yeah. I think that is so cool. Like, let's talk about that a little bit. So um I, I and I think that we we have so much data now that it's it's the we're in the information age, right? If I wanna hire somebody, I Google them and I got this and then I can find tons of stuff out on any on anyone, right? Um and I think sometimes we can overcomplicate it. Um I like to hire people I've, I've often said I hire people that are cultural fits right so I want to make sure that they that they have the right and that means that means a ton of different things but that when I bring them into my culture that they're gonna be a good fit for that like that doesn't mean they're a bad person good person it just means that they're gonna fit with what we do um, in my business Speak to that piece about um, how you hire for personality because I like that. I think that
0: whether it's the culture that you have now or the culture you're looking to Ooh, propagate, yes. uh, those two things can, can really work. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are seeing your culture go in the wrong direction, it can, be, it can be infused with positive energy by just one person who shows up ready to work and smiling yes. and you know, with something yes. positive to say or with a bag of candy. Or in, in my world, it could be anything, right? Mm-hmm. A, a, an extra pot of coffee. Uh, it, it can be anything. So, um, the, the ability for you to pick out those personalities, it, for me, it happens in the first five minutes of meeting someone. Uh, but for our restaurants, we do a stage, uh, which is like a working interview. It's, it's, it's a second or third interview usually, and that will allow the team, the, the People on the floor in the restaurant, or working behind the bar, or at the host stand as the first line of defense to see how you work, mm-hmm. and how you smile, and how you react to a guest, and how you handle adversity. Walk me through that. How does that? How do you do that? You like? sign a liability waiver, and then you come <laughs> on in. And we give you a uniform so you look like you uh, belong. Yeah. And uh, then we see because we the first gate to getting in is to have you had relative experience, right? So our restaurants are generally high level, so it's not your first restaurant job usually so you should already have an idea of how to move in a restaurant an idea of how to make eye contact with a guest and things like that so we're looking for that and then can you let your personality show through those basics so the basics of service need to kind of already be there and then is your personality something that we're, we're vibing with that we're feeling um and that works with
1: our culture yeah that's awesome yeah so, so that's good uh, i think that what I want people to, to, to recognize is that strategies like that, they translate to whatever industry that you're in, whatever your business is in. I know we used to do something similar. Um, in my business, we'd have people come in for about an hour, and you know when I was hiring contact center, call center folks, I'd have them come in for an hour, and they would sit on the phone. And I know, it wasn't really about, hey, whether they were successful in it. I really wanted to just understand how they handled some of the the failure, you know, some of the, the how they handled that and just kind of get a, get a real good grasp for what their personality was and then how they interacted with the rest of my employees. Yeah. W- with our environment, it's a lot of times like, are you moving
0: fast enough? Do you have a sense of urgency? Mm-hmm. Are you in the way? Yeah. <laughs> or like, if you're in the way, you're going home pretty soon. And if you are moving with us, then we'll keep you longer because you're helping us out.
1: So I want all of you managers out there to think about that. Think about it. Like, you, this is a strategy that you can implement. Like, bring, you got, you, if you're considering some folks, this could be their second, third interview. Bring them in. Let them hang out with your people. Um, when I was hiring a lot of people, I don't hire as many as I used to, but when I was hiring a lot of people, I'd want to bring them in and just let them interact with my folks. They didn't realize that they were being interviewed by my people, but they were. So I'd ask my people, hey, what'd you think? How did that person interact? Because I want to make sure again that they're a good cultural fit, and, and, and guys understand that that is a huge part of being successful or setting someone up to be successful in your environment—that they fit your culture. Because you know, if you've got someone that that just maybe learns different or thinks different, or uh, I'll give you an example—a real-world example in my world—I um, like to give people a lot of autonomy. Right? I I give them a lot of, I give them the ability to be successful. Like, go do it. Here's the big grand goal. Here's some tools. Let's make it happen. Well, some people can't be successful in that environment. They need, okay, I need to know one step one, two, three, four, five. That doesn't make them bad people or good people. It just means that this culture, this environment isn't the best fit for them. Right? And so we bring in people that, can learn that way and I think all employers out there need to be a little bit smarter in making sure that they bring in people that are cultural fit. because I know I don't know about you Clark but I don't hire anyone intending for them to fail I bring you in so you can win right it's important to
0: that they have the knowledge that they need so ed- the educational part is huge. It's a huge directive for my department is to make sure that people have the tools, the weapons they need in the battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it's, if, if it's behavior, we should be able to spot that pretty pretty quickly I agree. and separate those two. Did they have the knowledge they needed and they were behaving badly or did they just not know? Mm-hmm. Um, and once we've crossed that bridge with someone enough times, we're, we're pretty sold in one camp or the other, whether they're a cultural fit.
1: I like it. Yeah. So um, let's take a quick step back. I want to know what now. You, you, you're pretty cemented in your career. You're doing really well. It's a great company that you're with. Um, what advice would you give your your former self, your old your your younger self, going into this whole thing? Especially let's let's have it relate back to management and managing people. Like someone there's someone out there right now that's like Clark. 1.0 uh, right they're just getting that opportunity like what do they need to know to set themselves up to success for success what would you tell them
0: so my biggest strength that I've always kind of um, fallen back on is patience I, I don't mm. ever feel rushed uh, to to meet the next threshold I know it's coming like it's almost it's almost that I want to be over prepared for this thing so I've been preparing for a my next level sommelier exam for almost six years. And I want to pass the first time so bad. Uh, but I want to be sure that I'm passing the first time. Uh, so I'm patient about it. I I don't want to rush it. Um, and that would be a couple of times early on. I made some decisions in my career that felt rushed and I knew that I was taking a leap of faith and they didn't, uh, they didn't pay off for me. So in my, if I was to give my 19-year-old self some advice, I would say be be patient in these next few years in that first that first part of your career. Uh, whereas you might make a little more money right away, uh, it it would have been better if I had stayed two years at the first place I went instead of jumping around.
1: That's so hard. Such a valuable yeah. lesson, but so um, hard,
0: especially in this industry mm-hmm. that that I find myself in. But after staying the subsequent couple of places for multiple years. And now being at this one for almost uh, eight now, um, I I feel like I learned that lesson, uh, but I, I wish I had learned it a little earlier.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Great advice, man. <laughs> Why don't you go back and hop in that time machine and tell Younger Run that Right, too. exactly. <laughs> hey guys, listen, if you want a great drink, you want a great meal, you know where to come. Um, make sure... That you come into King and Duke, come to Saints Cecilia, come to what are all the restaurants? Jesus, there's so many. There's so JCT was the first. It's like
0: New American, lots of fried chicken over there on the West Side, yes. uh, Upper West Side. We're calling it these Voted days. Voted best in Atlanta before I know that. Uh, really good Sunday supper kills it over there, and then a little upstairs bar that mm-hmm. has just recently become real sexy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then two four six, the little Italian indicator was the second one. And then we opened The Optimist, which is a behemoth seafood they uh, shack on the west side. And then King and Duke, where we sit, was fourth. And then St. Cecilia, up at the Pinnacle Building across from Phipps Mall, mm-hmm. uh, which is homemade pasta and a brand new patio, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. And then after that was Marcel, mm-hmm. and then a bunch of Tex-Mex, so Superica and El Felix. Uh, Marcel is a fancy steakhouse with a killer wine list. And then Beetlecat, which is a little oyster bar with Cocktail Den. And another Tex-Mex, this time in Charlotte. Uh, so we're opening another Tex-Mex in Charlotte as well. And then Houston has three now. So Houston has State of Grace, which is kind of like if you were to take King and Duke, JCT and Marcel and mash them into one restaurant, you would yep. get State of Grace. And uh, then La Lucha, which is champagne and oysters and fried chicken. And a nice. uh, little Super Rica concept connected. So Tex-Mex in Houston, which is where
1: Ford is from. So it yeah. uh, makes a lot of sense. So Ford Fry is killing it, man. Um, if you guys get the opportunity to pop into one of these restaurants, do it. You won't regret it. This is where we hang out. We only partner with winners, man. I'm We're winners. So we partner with winners and we're going to win together. But I got to ask you guys one favor. The next time you pop into one of these Ford Fry restaurants, especially King & Duke, make sure you ask for the business the business and bourbon drink because it's going to happen. Maybe I'm going to try to talk Clark into it. So we'll see what happens guys. (laughs) All right. With that said, thank you all so much for listening to the podcast. If you love it, please give us five stars. If you don't have another drink. And with that, we out. Thank you for listening to the business and bourbon podcast. Please subscribe. And if you like us, give us a five star rating. If you don't, uh, have another drink. Maybe you'll feel a little bit differently. If you'd like to check out our videos, you can go to businessandbourbon.tv. That's businessandbourbon.tv. In addition to that, we're currently touring the United States with our Business and Bourbon Live show. It's a fantastic show where we do a whiskey education and we do some Q&A and it's a great networking event as well. So. If you'd like to attend one of our Business and Bourbon live events, you can go to businessandbourbon.live. Again, that's businessandbourbon.live. Thanks again for listening.